Hello, and welcome to the Event Safety Podcast. I'm Danielle Hernandez. I'm Steve Edelman. Welcome back, guys. We are continuing to talk about rigging. In our last episode, we talked about chain motors and truss. Today, we have a very special friend back with us, Ethan Gilson of Entertainment Rigging Services, and we're going to talk about counterweight rigging. Uh, We did an episode with Ethan a while ago where we talked in depth about counterweight rigging. Today, we're going to talk about the care and feeding of your counterweight rigging system if you haven't used it in, say, mm, 10 months or so. Welcome, Ethan. It's great to see you again. Hey, guys. It's great to see you guys uh, as well, and I hope everyone is doing well and enjoying the new year. So, Ethan, do you want to share the, the, the special simulcast news? Oh, yes, absolutely. So, um, for our ESA listeners who um, have heard me in the past and maybe kind of stalked me would know that I uh, started a podcast myself. I was inspired by the good work of my colleagues at the ESA and started a podcast related specifically to entertainment rigging and it is called Shackles, Burlap, and Lies. And so we're actually going to simulcast this episode. So um, some of my listeners who don't necessarily know about the ESA uh, or haven't listened to any of the podcasts will get some good information and hear from from you guys, as well as hopefully uh, broadening the horizon for the ESA listeners. Yeah. So, Ethan, does that mean that we can shame your listeners and say, oh, my God, what have you people been doing with your time or something like that? Or we can say, hey, subscribe to the Event Safety Podcast. Oh, yeah, that's more positive, Daniel. (laughs) Honey honey and stick, right? (laughs) So, so Ethan, let's just jump right in. Uh, In my building, our last show was March 12th. We've done a little bit of maintenance on and off, but really, my counterweight rigging system's been sitting in the building, relatively unused. What should I look out for? Well, I think the uh, number one concern that I would have on counterweight rigging that hasn't been operated in a prolonged period, it's not going to be any of the metal. It's not the wire rope. It's not the chain. It's not the battens. It's not the arbors. It's probably the the pulleys to say, or the loft blocks. We the technical term is a shiv, not the type you would use in the Shawshank Redemption, but it's a, a pulley. It's a wheel. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and usually, it, depending on the age of your system, they have ball bearings in those wheels, and that's what help, helps them move efficiently. In an older system, those ball bearings start to break down. They wear. Uh, maybe the lubrication of the ball bearings has started to dry up. Um, so the fact that those haven't been exercised in a while may cause some issues. Things may seize up. Um, that would probably be my number one concern. So uh, another area that is just, I can't say the word successful. Nope, not going to happen that potentially could have some issues <laughs> is the operating lines because those, the, the, the rope, whether it's synthetic or natural is 
uh, affected by environmental conditions a lot more. So you may find that over time, especially with line sets that maybe weren't weighted exactly properly, that those operating lines have stretched a little. So maybe there's a little more slop in the system. That makes sense. Um, so I do know that a lot of schools and professional theaters, one of the things they've done as a cost-saving measure is they've done some uh, cutbacks with HVAC. So we have buildings that may have been extra humid or extra cold or extra hot. Are there any of those, would those any of those conditions lead to issues? Absolutely. Um, again, the operating lines, which are, are rope, are going to be affected by that humidity or dry uh, air. Um, other components, most of the components, and in my brain naturally goes to counterweight rigging, talking about um, an arbor system and not hemp system. We're not talking about ropes and sandbags necessarily. A lot of the components are pretty rigid materials, aluminum, steel, uh, on your arbors, on the arbor guides, you'll have the arbor shoes. And those are usually plastic or uh, ultra high molecular density plastic, that white stuff that you see, it's really nice and smooth. Um, those things aren't really affected by the atmosphere as much. Heat certainly will do something to them. Could they potentially, you know, if, if they turned off the AC and you live in the, the South and then it got hundred degrees outside for a couple of weeks and inside the building, it was 120. Yeah. Maybe you could see some distortion of things. I think it's unlikely. Um, but the rope might be affected. Check your rope locks. If the rope has uh, changed dimension a little, maybe you had set all your rope locks and you felt they were nice and solid and now they're loose because the rope has stretched a little and is maybe a smaller diameter. Um, it, it, you know, part of this is speculation. You never know. And that's why you do want to do an inspection is probably a smart idea for people to, when you first get back into your space, go through all these things, run every single line set, listen to it, see if there are any issues. Um, if you haven't had a rigging inspection of your cistern done, it may be a good idea to get that on the schedule before you get too far into your new season so that everything can get looked at. Because um, there are a lot of small little pieces and some weird things that can happen. And, and you may not have an issue on day one, but because the system hasn't been working and you start exercising everything, new systems pop up a couple of days later because they develop, they haven't been used, and now all of a sudden they're working, and then the, the problem develops because they hadn't been moving. So listening, makes a lot of sense. being listening. one with your system is a, <laughs> is a, a good thing. That's a little, little zen with your, your rigging system. Um, so full disclosure, we had the guys come in to do a rigging inspection. It takes much longer when you have to socially distance. So um, plan accordingly. Uh, you can't have four guys on the lines and have that actually be effective and six people on the grid walk in the walk and everything yep. if they're too tight together. 
Um, so spread it out over a couple of days, maybe. People need the work. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I I have, so, you know, I freely admit one of the things that I do with my company is reading inspections, not to sound like a sales pitch. And there are a lot of qualified reading inspectors uh, all across the country, across the world. Um, if you've never had one and you're looking for someone to do a rigging inspection, um, I suggest you can look. ESTA has a ANSI standard for rigging inspections for manual counterweight, which sets up some um, criteria, what you want to look for, for someone to inspect your rigging system so you know you're getting someone uh, qualified to do so. I've had a lot of my clients defer their rigging inspections whether it was a school system said, hey, we don't want anyone in the building, um, even though they recognize it's a safety issue and they want to address that. But uh, especially at the beginning of the pandemic, pandemic, where we didn't know what this was turning into and we didn't know the time frame, a lot of schools just said, we're just going to shut everything down for the time being. So that delayed things or professional theaters where you have a crew that would help with the rigging inspection on a lot larger space. Although I try to be as hands-on as I can be, uh, there's a, a roadhouse in Boston that has 76 line sets and they're all double purchase. That's a lot of stuff to move. It's a lot um, of stuff to look at too. It's a lot of stuff to look at. Right. So the house crew helps me do the inspection. I fly in a line set, they fly it in. Now, I like to touch things when I do an inspection. So your average high school, let's say it's 20 line sets, I'll fly everything in myself because I can feel the operating line. I can tell, you know, is it uh, pulsing in my hand, which is an indication that maybe the operating line was overstressed. I'm listening to the line set as it moves. Do I hear any squeaking? Do I hear... Uh, rubbing noises? How, do I feel any rhythmic things in the system that might indi indicate other issues? On a larger space, I can't necessarily do that, but it would take me a week to do the inspection, and I'd probably, you know, be so tired I'd re retire afterwards because it's a lot <laughs> of physical work. So that getting this is the longest winded answer ever. Point being is, yes, inspections are harder to do when you need more people to facilitate them because of the social distancing, especially on heavier line sets where maybe it's two people to move it. So you got to think about those components. But I would also say for most academic institutions, uh, mid-sized to smaller venues, that's usually not that hard. But on the large ones, yeah. Yeah. This is something to think, something else to consider. It's like, we're still in the pandemic. I'm ready for the pandemic to move on. Um, but, you know, wishes and horses and all that. Um, yep. So one of the things that we've been talking about is that people coming back are super duper rusty. Things that were innately muscle memory and just habits are now not top of mind. Um, so we've been trying to talk through just some of the basics just to remind ourselves 
what what steps we need to take. And, you know, when I teach people to operate the fly rail, I'm like, you can die doing lots of things in this building. If you do this wrong, you can kill other people too. So, you know, it's, it's super important that people recognize the, the risks inherent in the system. <laughs> uh, what, what would you, you know, the, the rail guy who has been furloughed for 10 months finally getting a gig. He's getting called in to help do the inspection. Uh, you know, what, what sort of advice are you going to just remind him during your toolbox talk? Uh, I think the, uh, the low hanging fruit is the, the areas I would start at. What are the, oh, absolutely. That's where I want you to start. Right. <laughs> Cause it's that little stuff that, you know, we just did by rote that is now a little bit, clunky yeah it, it, i did an inspection a couple of weeks ago and i freely admit i make errors all the time um i walked away from a line set and i didn't put the rope lock back on i find that i it was a well-weighted system mm-hmm. i flew it in i walked eight feet over to the end of the pipe to look at something i walked back over and the rope lock was still off and i went oh <laughs> that's that's the exact type of thing where yes or maybe it's even more finite than that which is you put the roadblock back on but did you put the safety ring on because you're mm-hmm. you know fairly comfortable that roadblock wasn't going to fall off that's the type of thing those small little pieces of minutiae that you want to maybe focus on because those little things are just the beginning of that daisy chain of failure events that could turn into a significant issue. Um, Calling out the movement to other people in the space. Now, I personally am notoriously bad for this because I spend so much time doing reading inspections pretty much by myself that if there's anyone else. You feel like you're yelling at yourself all day. (laughs) Yeah. If I'm working with a crew, I do it. But if I'm working by myself or there's no one else on the stage, if I usually what I do is if there's someone else in the theater, I will create my hazard zone and I won't allow anyone else on the stage. So they might be in the audience or somewhere else protected, but I stop calling things. So that's another topic that, you know, hey, remember to notify people you're working with of the fact that you're moving something. Um Checking balance on things. You haven't touched this thing in a long time. When you left the theater, was it unbalanced by more than 50 pounds and you you forgot? Here's one. While you were out, something blew open and something got really wet and tore off. And somebody came in and threw out whatever this pile of muddy stuff they found on the floor, which was actually a soft good. And now you have a line set that is actually out of weight. This is something I have some experience with. Yeah, it sounds like it. Yeah, it sounds very specific, but it's not impossible. Most fly spaces have a roof hatch, so you can actually have rain come into your building. But, you know, other sorts of things where where somebody, while you were gone, did something. um, That brings up a... Check the weight. (laughs) That brings up an excellent point, which I didn't think of and should have, which is, again, I was getting myopic. What are the components that the environment could affect on a counterweight rigging system? It's the rope, whether it's synthetic or natural. I absolutely did not think about payload on the line set. 
the soft goods, especially older soft goods, cotton, which is going to mm-hmm. absorb the moisture. IFR materials tend to be a little better with that. Um, on the flip side, non-IFR, non-inherently flame retardant fabrics that have been treated with a chemical, uh, that humidity will change that effect. So it will get heavier or maybe it gets lighter once it dries up because that chemical is now evaporated and gone. So that's a really good point. Smoke hatches are notoriously uh, unreliant or unreliable um, in terms of their weather sealing. So yeah, making it rain on stage or snow or any other things. I will say uh, that brings up another area if you know that you've had water penetration in your ceiling and it has, you live in a cold area and you get through this winter. Oh, ice, I see where you're going. <laughs> ice expansion and contraction can cause some damage to things. Mm-hmm. So it's no, it, if you're like, Hey, why is there water on the deck? And you look up and you go, Oh geez, that's a good indication that you probably want to do a lot of exploring to find out the other effects that that had on your your building in general. I'm going to pretend everyone's a newer operator right now, but it's one that I harp on with newer operators is to make sure they're watching the line of travel. You know, once you're in a show situation, you may not have clear line of sight, but all the other times you should, or you have somebody else looking for you so that when you're bringing something in, you know, you're not going to get hung up on a piece of scenery or another soft good that has gotten blown around when your roof hatch blew open. <laughs> and 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 what other areas of your stage have changed since you were last in this space? Mm-hmm. A lot of schools started using their their stages as either classrooms to deal with social distancing or storage to move stuff out of other rooms to make room for classrooms. So is your acoustical shell no longer stored in the the place it normally is? And so you're like, oh, you walk in and everyone's happy just to be working again. And you're flying a line, you're electric in and bang or any other of those things. So I've been saying to people that as soon as a state says, yes, you can have a live event and you can have enough people to make it financially feasible, whether that's for academia or professional, it doesn't mean that the next day we're going to have Hamilton in your town. All of our performances are really based on timing and, and learning that timing again is going to take some time. And part of that's going to be you reacclimating to your theater, to the equipment in your theater. Things like you had said that our motor memory have to be relearned. It's This is completely silly. And I'm looking at my hands right now. Yeah, I was going to say, my next thing is like, can we talk about calluses? Calluses. (laughs) I don't wear gloves typically when I'm rigging. I'm a very, again, I've mentioned a few times, I'm a tactile person. And I grew up racing sailboats and I would wear fingerless gloves. They would get wet and bunch up in the knuckles and it would drive me nuts. I would just, I couldn't do it. So my hands are- I know a lot of guys that do pull ropes with with on a counterweight system with gloves on me. I like to feel that I get so much more information from the rope yep. and it's, I have, um, I'm going to mess up. I think it's polyline two. Multi-line two. Multi-line two. Maybe. White, white, 
white white with little red tracer yeah yeah so so here's 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 the dork that no one's going to care about yes so that is multi-line two made by new england ropes out of new bedford massachusetts Um, and where's that in relationship to your house uh it's about 45 miles south (laughs) um they were recently i say recently it was like seven years ago they were purchased by a german company that starts with an l i believe but yeah, that originally that rope was manufactured by a company that's 200 and something years old and they would make ropes for whaling ships. Yeah. Um, but yeah, multi-line two is a synthetic rope, three strand twisted. So it's like hemp rope or manila rope or any other natural fiber rope, which is it's just strength, uh, yarns twisted together, make strands and strands twisted together to make the rope. It's usually three quarter inch is the size and uh what i like about it is our our old whatever we had last stretched more so we would at certain times of the year have to uh retie it to the bottom of the arbors to take the slack back out and but this it's it's year-round is pretty stable i'm pretty happy with it yeah and that's the word stable stable Um, that's what i'm looking for (laughs) so if you if you have a theater and your operating lines are tan or brown chances are they're a natural fiber rope we call it hemp it's usually manila um which is made from plant leaves and and the fibers are from plants it's organic it breaks down over time um it also gives you pretty good splinters so if, if you get splinters from your rope, chances are it's an natural fiber rope. Humidity will adversely affect those. They will stretch and then they'll contract. And that movement helps break down the rope as well. Um, the synthetic ropes like the multi-line two are much more stable. They're not affected like that. Now, depending on your counterweight system, let's go through the anatomy of a counterweight system. So maybe for some listeners who are like, what the heck are you talking about? What are you talking about? <laughs> so when you go to a theater, you have the pipes called battens, which hold the lights, the video, the audio, the drape, whatever it is. Those pipes are supported by lift lines, which are usually wire rope, depending on the size of your system, changes the size of that wire rope. They're connected to the battens through either what we call trim chains or a clamp that is a metal clamp. There are different flavors for different applications. Those lift lines go up to a pulley mounted in the ceiling called a loft block. It diverts those lift lines from the vertical axis to horizontal over to above your arbors to what is called a head block. And that's just a bunch of pulleys next to each other or maybe what we call a multi-groove shiv where it's just multiple grooves cut into the same material. You might have in between the loft blocks and the head blocks, small little pulleys that are just designed to help support the wire rope so it doesn't sag, called idler blocks. If you have a real fancy system, you might have actually what is known as sag bars, which is really just sacrificial pieces of wood or plastic that are used to support the wire rope. And once the rope wears a hole through them, you replace those. So we got to the head blocks and that's where that arbor, that thing that holds all that heavy stuff that you hate clanking around, uh, goes up and down underneath and it's guided by a track 
or some systems use wire rope to guide the arbors and they kind of float around. But I'd say a majority of systems are going to be track guided. So that arbor holds the weight and you move that arbor up and down with the rope, the operating line. That goes through that little locking thing is the rope lock. It's not a brake. It's a rope lock. Those are all designed to hold. I should rephrase. They're mostly designed to hold. They're mostly designed <laughs> to hold a maximum imbalance of 50 pounds. Will they hold more? Yes, but they're designed to hold 50 pounds. Now, there are some manufacturers who have made some that will hold a lot more. But I question whether or not you want your rope to hold more than 50 pounds of imbalance. That's another discussion. We'll save that for the next yeah. one. <laughs> so all of this is to get to this one last piece, which addresses the expansion and contraction of your operating line issue. On the floor or near the floor, depending on your system, is a pulley that takes that operating line and sends it back up to the bottom of the arbor. And that is usually called a tension block. Now. And if you've only had something like multi-line two, you're like, what is this thing for? <laughs> so there are two <laughs> wonderful, beautiful things that this thing does. One, if it is working properly, a tension block is actually floating. I should say on a track system, it is floating, meaning it's on those two tracks underneath the arbor and it's heavy, so it wants to fall to the floor. However, the operating line is holding it up. So if the operating line stretches, that tension block is gonna lower to the ground. And in theory, kind of like the, the tension block on your traveler track, that little sprung loaded thing that squeaks on the floor, it's designed to help keep tension in the operating line, making your life easier. However, if the system is old, the operating lines have stretched or it wasn't installed properly and they're sitting on the floor already, it has nowhere to go. I've seen, also seen them locked in place. Yep. Higher. These, you know, they got tightened down by somebody who didn't understand what they thought they were just the bottom of the loop. Yep. And it was like, well, these have more of a function than just the bottom of the loop. <laughs> yep. And you raise, they pull them up too tight and so that they can't travel up at all. Um, on wire guided systems, they are not, I'll use the term auto adjusting. You can move them. Usually it's a, a you know, a bolt is the axle for the pulley. So you loosen it and you can slide it to get tension back. Um, or sometimes they're fixed and you can't do anything. And all you can do is retie the operating line to the, the bottom in theory to the top, but usually the bottom of the arbor to take <laughs> out that slack. There is a almost better reason for a tension block, especially a self-adjusting tension block on a track system. Your arbor is up near the ceiling and you have the two halves of the operating line. There's the half that's closest to you that's going through the rope lock. And there's the part that's furthest away from you that's attached to the bottom of the arbor. There's a, a little joke where we say far out, dude, which is that the far operating line is the out portion of the operating line. If I pull down on that far out line, what happens to the batten? It goes out. We don't use the term up. We use the term out because up is the back wall. So from an ergonomic standpoint, 
that little inch and a half surface on the front of that tension block that might have a little rubber texture on it is actually designed for you to step on. And when you do that, it unbinds the tension block from the track system and it can move. So if I step on the front top edge of the tension block and I pull the outline towards me, it lifts the tension block up. Now I don't have to reach out with my arms in front of me to the operating line that's 18 inches, two feet beyond the rope block. I can pull that towards me almost right next to the end line. Now I can get some more grip, some more force. I can actually hang on it a little easier. Yeah. Gives I you mean, more physical maneuverability exactly. with it. I think hmm. if you've done theater in high school and college, you've probably stood on the rope lock rail in the back of the system and pulled down on that rope because it was a large set piece that needed a lot of force to get it moving. You don't necessarily have to do that. I can tell you when I do inspections, owners will be with me or the users will be with me and I'll go and I'll check the tension blocks. I'll lift up and they'll be like, I never knew it did that. It's like, yep, it will change your life. In ergonomics, you're not going to injure yourself. We've talked in, in past podcasts about ergonomics and how do you deal with fatigue issues. This is one of those things. So, so going back to calluses. Yes. The ropes. <laughs> ah, the so, ropes. So, you know, one of the things that I'm cognizant of is that before I bring somebody in to run a show where the, the main's going to travel 60 times, they're going to need some time to build up their calluses before that that I could, or I'm going to have to change people out because even with gloves, they're going to end up with some super scary blisters uh, if I don't. And timing. I mean, there's, Mm -hmm. there's, you're going to have to learn that learning curve of, okay, if I pull the main curtain in at this speed, when do I have to stop slowing it down so that Mm -hmm. it doesn't, you know, bounce off the deck? Yeah. Again, going back to the, we all need to go through rehearsals to get our timing back. Timing yep. of the scene changes, of people moving, when can I do this? All those things we're going to have to learn again, whether it's for a show or just general operation, the idiosyncrasies of the system, little tricks that you had learned. You're like, oh, I can massage the system to get to do what I want to do. You're going to have to figure out again. You're going to form that relationship again with your, your kind of rigging. Be like, <laughs> talk to me. Talk to me, ropes and, and stage weights. Talk to me. Yeah. Um, so I had one more question, but before I get to it, I'm going to take this opportunity to check out Ethan's uh, podcast, Shackles, Burlap and Lies, unless you're listening to Shackles, Burlap and Lies, in which case you should check out the event safety podcast. Absolutely. Uh, and you should help us both uh, share this with other people. If you'd go to Apple podcasts and rate us and review us, uh, helps more people find us. So we're, we're trying to, you know, spread the love a little bit. We're also on Instagram at event safety podcast, and we have an email address podcast at event safety org. Send us a note. We'd love to hear from you. All right, Ethan, time for my question. So let's quickly review. How do we hang something on a pipe safely? Uh, so first you find the electricians to hang the lights because <laughs> I don't touch lights anymore. Um, so there is a proper procedure for 
loading and unloading payload, I'm going to use that term, from the battens. Now, there are a couple of assumptions in this procedure that I'm going to Yeah, let's just talk about basics. We're not going to talk about crazy Broadway steel sets right now. No, 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 no. That's fine. But there are a couple of assumptions based on this. This procedure assumes that you have a properly designed counterweight rigging system where you have a loading gallery because there are lots of high school theaters where that loading gallery, that platform, that catwalk up at the the top at the head blocks was value engineered out. So we're assuming that you have a proper loading gallery. So the procedure is this. You go to your line set, line set 15. That's going to be what we're hanging our payload on. You Got it. You undo the rope lock. You call out to your crew. Hey, line set 15 coming in. You wait for a response. Thank you. So that you know that people understand. And you start flying line set 15 in. You can choose your own speed. It's like a choose your own adventure. You can go really fast and see what happens and just walk away. Or you could, you know, take it slow and make sure everything's okay. Line set comes in. You put your rope lock on, you put your safety ring on, ring on. At that point, the flyman will say to whomever is hanging whatever object, hey, you're all set. In that process, maybe you've predetermined how much weight you're going to put on as payload. I'm going to put, again, here's the dork. I'm going to put 10 source fours at 20 pounds each. That includes That includes C-clamp weight and a little bit of cable. So we need 200 pounds of counterweight. Okay, so I'm hanging the lights, making sure the safeties yep. are attached, run the cable. Right now we're I'm, golden. Weights, weights on the deck. Yep. Absolutely. And I've done nothing. I haven't started putting counterweight on or anything. I'm waiting until I hear from the appropriate person to say, hey, we're good. Okay, I'm tightening the last one now. Perfect. I'm gonna holler up, call up, use the text message, whatever your communication process is to the person who's up on the loading bridge and say, hey, now here's the slang. I'm not going to tell them, hey, we need to go 200 pounds. Maybe I will, but more commonly, what I'm going to say is we're going to go five bricks above pipe white. Pipe, wow, English good, I speak not. (laughs) We're going to go five bricks above pipe white. A lot of bricks, full-size bricks, are about 40 pounds. Maybe it's 42 pounds. But I'm going to communicate in a term of how many bricks are they putting on. The person in the air doesn't have to be doing math to figure out how many bricks and how much weight. That that should be the flyman's job, or maybe the technical director has already figured that out in pre-production. Mm-hmm. So, hey, we're going five bricks above pipe weight. I just added another cable, so you want, might want to put a, a half brick or a wafer on there. <laughs> All right. So we need, you know, a couple of more, couple more half bricks. Um, they're going to respond. And then we're going to clear the rail, which means we're going to create a hazard zone underneath where they are working that is going to prohibit anyone from walking along, in some spaces, that entire side of the stage for 10 feet out. So that when they are loading the weight on the arbors, now here's where your own venue is going to be different from everyone else's. The ergonomics of how you put that counterweight onto the arbor depends on, is the arbor high enough to be reached from the loading gallery? Does your loading gallery have railings or chains that can be removed? Do you need fall restraint or fall arrest? 
to be able to lean out far enough with this 20 or 40 pound piece of steel. In a larger space, let's say 65 feet up, you take a 40 pound brick and you fumble it and it falls. One, it's like that game on the Price is Right where the ball falls down and hits all the pegs. You don't know where it's going. They call that Plinko, right? Yes, good memory. Wow. Two, when that brick gets to the bottom, it is going to hit something and it is either going to put a hole in it or it's going to bounce off of it until it hits something else it puts a hole in, which could be you. So that's why we create this safety zone, this hazard zone. So I call up, hey, going five and a half bricks above pipe weight, five and a half bricks, line set 15. Thank you. Five and, five and, half, and a half bricks, half line set 15. The rail is clear. And then my job as the flyman is to make sure no one walks over it inadvertently and stands underneath the hazard. So because it looks like you're doing nothing but hanging out. They want to come see what yep, you have for lunch. <laughs> exactly. Or trying to figure out where you are going for lunch. So after the loader has finished their job, they're going to lower the top. Lines at 15, complete. Yep. They're going to load their weight. It's like, great. I, as the flyman, I'm going to go over. I'm going to put my hand on the operating line, and I'm very gingerly going to undo the rope lock. Are you going to okay. tell the people on the deck you're checking weight? Well, good catch. Yep. I'm going <laughs> to make sure <laughs> I'm going to make sure that I announce that I'm checking weight. And this is not only for the people on the deck, but also the loader who's up in the air because mm-hmm. the potential for having an imbalanced line set at that situation is greater than at any point so far. When we loaded all the weight on the pipe at the ground, if we were imbalanced, it doesn't matter because the pipe's all the way in. It can't go any further. The, yes. the teeter-totter is on the, you're, you're yeah. on the ground and there's nothing on the other side. In theory, we could put so much weight that we start breaking things, but uh, eh, I don't think you're going to do that. <laughs> it's a lot of lights. <laughs> it's a lot of lights. We're hanging a car. Um, <laughs> on a line set? Uh, anyway, go on. I'm just going to try. Um so if we're in balance, let's say I'm really bad at math and somehow I have made it to this level in my career being bad at math and it wasn't 200 pounds, it was 800 pounds that we Uh-oh. put onto the arbor. And let's just say so through some gravity, magic, gravity doesn't like that at all. No. And let's just say through some miracle, our rope lock held that now 600 pound imbalance. When I remove that rope lock, that arbor, which is now 65 feet up in the air, is going to come down at 32 feet per second squared, which is really fast. And it's going to, at 65 feet, it's probably going to hit terminal velocity and it is going to come crashing down to right next to me at the rope lock. So, friends, I'd like you to think about that. What's happening when that arbor is coming down at terminal velocity, the pipe with the light fixtures that I just tied the cable onto has gone at the same speed to the grid. Yep. So now this gets to the number one operator failure in counterweight rigging is a simple little step spreader plates 
These are the mm. little thin metal plates in your arbor that are probably at the bottom of the counterweight set or all the way at the top. They are supposed to be every two feet vertically for stacked counterweight. So if you have a six foot tall arbor, you're going to have at least two spreader plates. And what these are designed to do is if that arbor runs away, which is the situation of it moving unintentionally, when that arbor hits the bottom of the counterweight system, it's going to go through what is known as a crash bar, which is designed for you to crash the arbor into really slowly. It's going to hit that crash bar. It's probably going to go through the crash bar. It's going to hit the tension block, the floor. It's going to hit everything until it hits something that's not going to move. And without the spreader plates, that arbor is going to open up. Those rods that are holding the top and the bottom of the arbor are going to bend open. And now your 40 or 20 pound or 60 pound stage weights are no longer going to be contained in your arbor. Think of it like a Pez dispenser. Yes. That if you bend the sides out of a Pez dispenser, all the Pez fall out. Stage weights, same thing. When yep. the sides go off, all, all the stage weights are going to just fall out, just like and, in a Pez dispenser. And stage weights are not sugary good treats. Neither so. are Pez, but let's not go there. <laughs> uh, but, but there's much more dire consequences. So yep. not only are we now flinging stage weights around, on the other side of the stage, or out on the deck itself, our pipe, well, first of all, hopefully at the point that this started moving, at least one person yelled run away, yep. which is the one thing that if you hear in the theater means get out of the stage space any way you can, as fast as you can, and take everyone with you. There's no, a, there's no time to waste. It has a double meaning. It means... Hey, a line set is running away. It also means you need to run you away. You need to run away. Um, there's, a, there's a great uh, story from Jay Garillum. I always pronounce his last name improperly. Glarum. Glarum. People will give me crap. Jay was uh, one of the leading authorities in uh, theatrical rigging, was an instructor, wrote one of the best books for stage rigging called stage rigging um <laughs> the stage rigging great. handbook jay was a phenomenal individual and a mentor to me um and he tells the story of he's he has experienced a runaway and he jumped into the pit and he watched a brick fly over his head and when they measured it when it was done it was 80 feet away now this was a professional house so it it had 80 or so feet to move but when you take mass and you get it to full acceleration, that's a lot of energy. It's a lot of energy. Yep. So, so now you've, you've so now Pez dispensed. My pipe, we've yep. Pez dispensed. So now that arbor is empty. It's either buried in the deck or it's empty. Empty. And, and at that same time, your pipe with your lights on it has hit this probably steel. Sometimes there's still wood, but mostly steel grid. Yep. Hit the roof. Literally, yep. most of the time what happens then is the pipe breaks. Pipe, your wire rope breaks, the grid yep. breaks. So the pipe the will break. fall. The lights yep. will fall. The pipe will fall. The wire rope becomes a lasso. 
yep. which puts your your loader guy in a lot of danger because that's the one person that has nowhere to go but flat. Yep. And and that wire rope is going to whip around. It you know, typically a forty two foot batten. And the reason why, if you've ever wondered why your batten in your theater is forty two feet instead of forty feet or forty five feet, inch and a half schedule forty which is what that pipe is, comes in 21-foot sections, 21 and some change. So How doesn't this ever come up in, in trivia? <laughs> never. But if it did, we'd get the question correct. Yep. Um, so your 42-foot pipe is maybe on four lift lines, but that's kind of a long, sp- long spacing, but more likely is on five lift lines. So that's mm-hmm. five wire ropes. And again... The normal or the average size of that wire rope is quarter inch wire rope, which is pretty sizable, has a lot of strength. But if those break under tension and start flopping around, they're also going to do a lot of damage. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, a, an interesting thing, which is wire rope will cut through anything given enough time. I can cut through sprinkler pipes, I-beams, other hardware. Steel. Steel, yep. I have a uh, a bolt, a grade 8 bolt that's half gone from a wire rope that was cutting through it, which was the movie screen in a facility. Um, and after 10 years, it started cutting through a grade 8 bolt, which is a really, really hard bolt. So uh, you then put that aircraft cable under tension and whip it around it can and it will take limbs off yeah which is which is why we've gone through this exercise just to remind us all that we know how to do this we just have to remember all the steps because as i said before you can kill yourself with electricity with falling you do this wrong you can you can take out a whole bunch of people um a postscript, uh, at least in my space and, and hopefully in most spaces, when all of this is happening, everyone is wearing a hard hat, uh, specifically because of this situation. You're like, well, the pipe's on the deck. Well, yes, the pipe's on the deck. Don't walk into it. But, you know, this is really <laughs> giving well, you that that extra extra help. It, just brings in case up, we need it brings up a great topic of of hard hats and what can we do when we haven't been in the space maybe this is the opportunity for you as a person in charge of your facility to implement new safety procedures that it's not that you weren't required to wear a hard hat before you just weren't able to properly enforce that rule so maybe this is an opportunity to say, hey, great, we're getting back to work. We have some rules that we're going to start following. So the hard hat is a great example. The pipe's down. What do I need a hard hat for? Well, how many people have ducked under that pipe to go upstage or downstage instead of walking around the end? And you came up just too soon. You catch the C-clamp bolt in the back of your head. It's like you've watched me or something. Our, That's why uh, I wear the hard hat. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, there was a uh, social media post to, as we're recording this today of a, a rigger in the air on an I-beam and was not wearing a hard hat, which started the discussion. Well, what does he need a hard hat for? Well, if it's going to fall on him. He's up. 
Eh, except that's the what argument. If, what if you stumble and hit your head on an adjacent I-beam? Or when you fall off the beam, you hit your head on the I-beam. And now, instead of you just needing to be rescued because you're hanging in your fall arrest system, you're bleeding from the head. Now, yeah. my responsibility to rescue you in a timely fashion has become more critical. That timely fashion went from X to Y. And I'm specifically not mentioning time because people tend to latch on, oh, you got to rescue someone in X amount of time. It depends. It depends on your environment and what's reasonable and et cetera, et cetera. Yep. Um, so yeah, there are a lot of those small little things wearing gloves now to get used to the ropes. Um, let's say your line set. Yep. Eye protection, skill uh, toed shoes or safety shoes for when you drop that brick on your foot. Um, let's say your line sits not that far out of weight. Let's say it's only a hundred pounds out of weight, which is not that much. And you, you'll notice that as you're undoing the rope lock, cause it will start moving and you react fast enough, but we're out of practice and your hands on the rope in a position that maybe is not the best. What happens if the line set moves one inch and you suck your finger into something that shouldn't be there or any other small things just because yeah. we haven't been doing this and you're out of practice. And all of a sudden that small little thing that every other year that you've been doing this beforehand, wasn't an issue now becomes an issue because it's new to us again. So that, that yeah. seems like a perfect place. Thank you. Uh, I, I think we're going to tie this up now because I couldn't possibly finish that any better than you just did. <laughs> we're out of practice. So spend a couple extra minutes thinking about what we're, what we're doing so that we all get back to work, which hopefully will start happening soon. Um, anyway, thank you so much, Ethan. Uh, and I hope that, uh, I hope that your listeners and our listeners get along fine and don't throw peanuts at each other. <laughs> I think we probably share a lot of listeners. <laughs> if anyone's heard me talk, they know I'm, I'm, I'm very committed to the ESA and its mission statement. And um, I just, with my podcast, I tend to focus that safety idea to rigging instead of the broader market, which is the ESA. So, um, well, well, there's no topic. I, I, we won't consider. Uh, so again, if, if you guys out there in the great wide world have something you'd like us to consider or think about, uh, or someone you'd like us to have on podcast at eventsafetyalliance.org is our, it's our email. Oh, thank you again, Ethan. Thank you very much to Jacob who My does pleasure. all of our, uh, engineering. Couldn't do without him. Uh, Steve had to leave early. Um, so he's at the dentist now. So, um, Hopefully by the time you guys hear this, he'll be completely done with his teeth things. Yuck. Uh, anyway, stay safe out in the world, everybody, and we will see you soon. <laughs>